Hello everybody and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show I do where I talk about the stuff that I've seen since the last time I did one of these. Uh, it's just me, it's just David, and uh, it's only been a week, but I've been um, watching um, a number of movies. Eight? Is that right? Yeah, I've seen eight movies. More than a movie a day since the last time we spoke. Um, but I am going to kick things off <clears throat> by talking about well, I almost said the latest, but one of the latest Hong Sang Su movies, The Novelist's Film. Um uh I am by no means a Hong completist. There's a lot of stuff out there and um you uh I'm calling myself out on my own laziness. Often it takes a lot of effort to to see it all. Um so uh, I seem to see every second or third uh, Hong movie, but I've seen enough to have um, a sense, uh, a strong grasp of of his his style and his interests. Um, and uh, the novelist film is uh, uh, definitely a part of the continuum and um, a strong a strong entry. Um, it's also compared to. Uh, well, I guess something like, I guess I'm thinking of Hotel by the River because that's another black and white one. This one's in black and white, um, uh, which has various male and female characters. The novelist film is largely driven by uh, women um, and uh, seems particularly interested in and uh enamored of the connections that are formed between women because of the men that are in the midst of them not that the men are actively fomenting these bonds but uh, uh you know the movie starts with a, a novelist has uh, taken the train from tokyo to an outer I don't know, a uh, small town or suburb or something to, to visit an old friend who now owns a bookstore. But then from there, she ends up wandering around the town, runs into a uh, filmmaker um, that uh, she had a, a professional interaction with at some point in the past. Then they run into another actress and the filmmaker is being kind of like awkward and paternalistic in a male filmmaker way um uh and a bond is quickly formed between the novelist who's like a middle-aged woman and the actress who's a much younger woman played by kim min he kim min he um and i should say the filmmaker is played by uh kwan hai hyo who is a mainstay in uh in uh hong films um and so the movie has this sort of circular structure of uh because eventually they come they end up back at the bookstore where the movie started um but it gets there um mostly through conversation i mean i guess they physically get there by walking but there's not a lot of shots of them walking most of the shots are of people standing or sitting around and talking and also in classic hong form sitting around and getting drunk by the end of the movie is a a, a big part of the um i guess third act if you want to think of the movie that way um uh but yeah it's another just uh 
winning, um, fascinating, like charming, but that makes it sound like light. It's also very, um, uh, uh, psychologically deep uh, at the same time. But, uh, there's the thing that I think that fascinates about Hong is his seeming, uh, lightness is light touch but his ability to um you know with economical shots and camera movements the occasional zoom um his interest in people is so deep that uh um drama naturally seems to spring out of his movies uh, e- even though he makes so many of them and they're often very short and they seem so simple in their construction that uh it feels like they're just tossed off but every one of them uh packs quite a punch so that's the novelist film um next up i've been dreading talking about this this movie i like i rate i rated it on letterboxd but didn't give any review or anything i want to stay as far to the discourse as possible but um this is my podcast this is where i talk about the movies that i've seen i mean it's me and tyler's podcast but you know the bp movie journal these days is where i talk about movies that i've seen um so i'm gonna have to go ahead and acknowledge that i saw the daniels everything everywhere all at once and i thought it was almost mind-numbingly stupid um i was so bored by it it goes on forever uh i thought the the early scenes of an unhappy family running a laundromat were interesting and they have to go to the go to the irs because they're in some sort of tax trouble and that's interesting and then as soon as stuff starts getting sci-fi and action um i got it all felt so stupid um it felt like uh it 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 felt like you're having a conversation with someone and you're getting close to something true and uh revealing and then they just make a joke to deflect to make it all seem more superficial and i know that that's not what the movie is because a lot of people are very moved by what the movie ultimately seems to be saying about how we can get along um in this world uh with each other with one with strangers um and i'm I'm on board with that concept, but I thought the movie's illustration of it and insistence upon it were, um, remedial maybe. Um, and not nearly as thoughtful or thought provoking or emotional as I had been led to expect. And I fully admit that, you know, maybe if I'd seen this movie back in April, I would have been way more into it because, and you know, I try to set this stuff aside, but obviously since the movie came out, I've been hearing about how it's one of the greatest movies of the year and it's getting all this awards consideration. And so I will admit that I saw it under that, that, that weight, like, uh, um, I, it's not like I was sitting down and saying, okay, movie, prove to me that you're worthy of all this discussion. I don't do that. I want to like every movie that I watch, 
but um, I very quickly became bored and annoyed by everything everywhere all at once and uh, multiple times throughout the movie which I watched at home I was hitting the display button on the player to like try and see how much I had left because I just kind of wanted it to be over um, so uh, I'm sorry I don't want to be a part of the discourse um, don't at me uh, speaking of discourse um, the next movie I watched was Andrew Dominic's Blonde kind of put some distance between the discourse and that and just try to watch it uh, on its own and I saw it with Natalie with my wife Natalie uh, who despised it and was very um eager to dig into on the drive home from the the theater went to see it in the theater um because uh, of an award screening um on the drive home from the theater she was very eager to unpack all of the things she hated about it and was all she's right about everything the the movie is uh punishing it has no real respect for marilyn monroe as a person it's more about her as uh an object upon which we all have gazed for so long and um she remains that it's this isn't like a warts and all like let's get into who she really was um she remains an object and an object uh to whom things are done the movie is uh uh, uh punishing to watch and punishing to its character um it's also uh feel how you will about this um there's a strong argument to be made in fact an almost very plain argument that almost doesn't need to be made that the movie is very pro-life um uh and um, i thought that was strange um so all of these things are true but there's also the you know the aesthetic uh in me who's like but andrew dominic is doing so many cool things with uh with with light especially in in color you know the um some of the movies in black and white and some of it in color i never i didn't get around to thinking about how to decode what was what i don't really care um but it was all very striking and then there are um uh shots where part of the screen is just blown out like beyond Janusz Kaminski style lighting of just like uh, super hot spots that make things hard to to see um, there's also just simply the fact that Ana Dermas is um, gorgeous and the uh, movie and Andrew Dominic um, love the way that she looks and there's uh, an aesthetic uh, um uh value to just uh um movies being used to to look at beautiful people but of course that's maybe um the meta commentary on what the movie is 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 saying maybe it's uh maybe the point is that it's trying to be so beautiful despite um depicting such ugly things that it's uh commenting on or asking us to reflect on our ability to sweep um the unpleasant under the rug in favor in favor of the commonly accepted story which is more pleasing uh so maybe my reaction is illustrating the movie's point i'd like to hope so i don't know if i'm actually going to give it that much credit um 
Okay, next up a documentary. Um, Annie Ernaux and David Ernaux Briot's uh, The Super 8 Years, which is, um, you know, uh, there's, I used to uh, attend the, um, uh, uh, an annual symposium put on by the Association of Moving Image Archivists called The Real Thing. We used to do episodes wrapping it up. Um, a lot of, it was about, archiving and i remember seeing at least one if not more uh presentations of the symposium about home movies and that you know when we talk about archiving film most people think of most people maybe go into the field with the thought of archiving cinema or at least you know or documentary or things that were made for public consumption via you know as as information or as art or whatever but there is a value not just an historical and anthropological value but there is actually an artistic cinematic value to home movies and and amateur art outsider art whatever you want to call it uh which is not necessarily what this is because any or no um has made films but uh she um has put together a documentary uh where the the parameters, the the beginning and end point, have to do with, uh, are are dictated by when she had a Super 8 camera. So it's roughly ten years, mostly the seventies and the early eighties, um, uh, of her documenting her her family, her her young children becoming teenagers over this time. Uh, um, but it's also interesting how the the end of her time with the Super 8 camera happened coincidentally or not at the same time as a big change in her family life and so the movie just by sticking to these super eight film the the films that she shot uh, of her family vacations over the course of a year actually does tell a story and does capture something that ended when the movie ends uh so it's um a brilliant use of home video footage that wasn't shot for this intention um uh and is is uh, very captivating to to look at and it's only an hour long you gotta love that getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking what's your secret begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay. Um, speaking of uh, nostalgia, of looks back, hold on. Uh, I don't know why I would ever, I do this, but I, I keep underestimating Richard Linklater, like not the before movies. I know those are going to be good, but every once in a while something comes out, like everybody wants some where I'm like, oh yeah, I liked Linklater in the past. That looks like it could be fun. And then like, I'm blown away by it. And it happened again. I put off seeing Apollo 10 and a half full, full title, Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. Uh, and then I watched it and I couldn't, why did I wait to see this? I, it's so good. I can't wait to watch it 
again um it's another one of his like rotoscoped animated uh movies where the hook of the story is that in preparation for the moon mission in 1969 nasa secretly uh enlisted a child to uh test out the module and and he became a secret member of nasa and that's the main character but he's narrated from the present day by jack black as the uh, as the character looking back but really that whole like fantasy about of being a child astronaut is just a bare like thin hook that the movie is hanging on what it's actually about which is this remembrance of what it was like to grow up in the houston suburbs in the shadow of nasa at the height of the space race and how specific that childhood is but also how the specificity overlaps with the ordinariness of any suburban childhood in the in that part of the century and even 20 years later you know there's i was a child i'm i'm like 20 years younger than richard linkletter but um uh there are so many things that I, even though the, spe- the specifics of which board game they're playing and which like TV show they're watching, um, weren't the same as mine. The feel of what it's like to be a suburban kid, uh, was fascinating. So it was, it tapped into my own memories of youth and my own nostalgia and was able to channel that into what movies are good at, which is seeing the world through someone else's eyes. So having, uh, I had the tools to actually feel like I have an understanding of what I'm sure this very, I'm sure this movie's very autobiographical. So what Linklater's childhood might've been like, um, I don't know if he's actually from Houston. I didn't even bother to look that up. Um, but, um, I was really moved by it. It's very funny um, and and very uh, sweet and uh, uh, completely transporting. Um, uh, speaking of complete, I guess we're trying to trying to work on these segues. Uh, let's move on to a movie that, despite being well over three hours, does not feel complete. It feels like a complete mess. And uh, I should also say that I fucking love it. <laughs> it's Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Um, listeners know I'm a big La La Land fan. I also really liked First Man, speaking of uh, the moon. Um, uh, so I was definitely excited to see Babylon. A little bit, you know, uh, trepidatious about the, the runtime, but uh, it moved. I would say it's only a few minutes shorter than Avatar The Way of Water, which I would also say is a movie that moves very fast for being over three hours, but Babylon moved the fastest of any three-hour movie I've seen this year. Certainly faster than than Blonde. Um, maybe even faster than RRR? Now I'm questioning whether that's true or not. But, um, but uh, there's... Uh, I immediately started to think of the movie... And I was trying to, because I don't know if, I don't know if people who don't <laughs> do podcasts or broadcasts, their, you know, tweet or whatever you do to like broadcast your thoughts. I don't know if other people do this, but I almost immediately when I see a movie, start thinking about how, how am I going to talk about this? Um, 
And I very quickly that night landed on the phrase um, romantic deromanticization. That that, um, Damien Chazelle is making a movie about old Hollywood. This is about the transition from silent to sound. It takes place for the most part, roughly like 1927, 1932. Uh, that's kind of the era the movie takes place over. Um, and, uh, the movie is in many ways, very gross. Um, uh, physically like viscerally gross and violent, um, and messy, like I said. Uh, and so it, on the surface not on the surface but maybe on the on paper is how we should say it it sounds like an attempt to de-romanticize this era to say these were um uh flawed overpaid under policed (laughs) um uh 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 people who were hurting themselves and others the movie has like not like a RoboCop level body count, but surprising for the movie that it is, a surprising number of people die in this movie. Um, uh, and so it sounds like it's um, that, like that's what it is. This this deromanticization, but it's also so beautiful and fun and infectious and joyous, uh, exuberant. Um, even when it's disgusting, it's hilarious and. Um, uh, intoxicating, uh, in much the way the characters often are. Uh, but it's also a mess. You know, it's to compare it to something like La La Land. I mean, La La Land had every time I watch it, which is still pretty pretty often, um, at least once a year or so. Uh, it 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 grasps me and doesn't let go. Uh, this movie's grip on me tightened and loosened many times. There were parts of the movie where I was like, I don't care about this or why are we falling back in this trope? This seems too, this seems too undercooked or this, maybe this thing over here seems like too much of a reach. Uh, it's so in that way it's, it's a mess. Um, and, uh, it does feel like he probably shot Chazelle probably shot and edited together many, many more hours worth of footage. And this is just happens to be three hours and nine minutes of what he shot. And I don't entirely, uh, know. I feel like there were probably other versions of the movie that, that, that can be made because it feels so catch as catch can. Um, and that's, that sounds like an insult, but it's also a thrill. Um, yeah, the movie's thrilling and, and gross and, and, and weird. Um, and off-putting and hilarious and violent and again gross don't let me <laughs> uh undersell that part of it i absolutely loved it i came in to see it again um also oh man what's his name the hold on i got it here um do i do i have it here not yeah so linus sangren is the cinematographer and he's uh fantastic but i'm like drawing a blank on the name of the Justin Hurwitz, yeah, the music is great. I can't wait to listen to. I can't wait to see the movie again, just to, partially just to nod and tap along with all the the music. But I'll probably, you know, um, purchase the soundtrack uh, just like I have the La La Land soundtrack. Um, so uh, yeah, I I love Babylon, but your mileage may vary. 
Um, so, okay. Next up, Homestretch. There's a couple more to go. Uh, Margaret Brown's Descendant, which is a documentary about the descendants of the Clotilda, which was the last, or I guess, yeah, the last uh, slave ship from Africa, which uh, brought it brought uh, Africans who had been captured um, in, and uh, forced into slavery to America decades after that had been outlawed um slavery in america was still legal and the um selling of the treating of human beings as property in america was still legal um uh um well black human beings but uh but bringing slaves bringing new people into slavery from Africa had been illegal for a long time, but someone did it. And, um, the, uh, descendants of, of those, um, Africans, uh, have grown up kind of knowing the story, but, um, it hadn't really been broadcast for, uh, until somewhat recently because for a hundred years after it happened, there was always the threat that like, if you know this the family that did this are still in power in in this alabama area uh if we start calling them out they they're going to someone's going to get lynched or something so the descendants kept quiet about it uh, uh outside of talking about it among themselves for generations um and and then it's come out and the the movie is about the search for the ship itself which is sunk off the sure um or is claimed to be and that's what they're searching for but um long-time listeners who pay too close attention to this show uh will have gathered or heard me say that i'm a big fan of when a documentary is ostensibly about one thing this is what it's about this is how you would write out the description of the movie's pursuits right but has another message underneath um that comes up either either intentionally from the beginning or there's something that's just like found as they're shooting or editing and, and they bring it up so um yeah this story of the legacy of of slavery and the fact that you know we're it's still to this day it's not that long ago um especially to the people who are direct descendants of people who were who were enslaved uh these these things still exist in 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 the in the bloodlines and in the oral history and in the social structures you know the movie has a whole thing about how um this part of alabama where all these descendants of these enslaved people lived um live uh, surrounded by like plants and it's some of the most polluted air in the state or maybe the country anyway so all of that is reason enough to tell this story what's really fascinating to see happen though as this story starts to come to light outside of the descendants of the clotilda descendants of the survivors of the clotilda um the movie starts to capture over and over again the way that 
white people instead of denying and pushing back which i'm sure there's some of but that's not what the movie is uh uh capturing white people even when physical evidence starts to appear and and they have to come closer to facing the reality of slavery than they've ever really had to outside of holding a book about it maybe that white people can't help but make themselves part of the story so much of the movie is about white people or at least capturing white people who are awkwardly trying to like reach out or um say you know oh my great great whatever you know he was nice to his slaves or these things like he's trying to like they're trying to like make themselves okay they're trying to let themselves off the hook they're trying to get credit for not i guess not being slave owners or or whatever there's just there's an inability it seems the movie seems to capture for a lot of people um, who have benefited from privilege to be humble about it. Even when they're trying to, they don't know how to because they've never had to. Um, And not being a part of the story is so alien to them. Uh, That's the most fascinating thing about Descendant uh, to me. um, is, Is Yeah, um, fucking white people man um uh i mean i know that i'm probably like this too for all i know everything i just said is part of the problem (laughs) um uh uh, i just hopefully by watching movies like this i can we can become more self-aware you know it reminds me there's a a movie there's a lot of movies called stray dog but uh what's her name deborah granick um who made uh leave no trace and in winter's bone uh made a documentary about a uh biker in southern in in uh, southwestern missouri uh who um and there's a part of the movie where his uh, it's been years since i've seen it but i think like his girlfriend is from mexico and she has two kids and he they bring they they get them over into the into the country and these kids are miserable because they miss their friends they're like teenagers who are suddenly in going from mexico to the fucking ozarks uh and there's a scene of the main guys like biker buddies talking to them about you must be so glad to be out of there you must be so glad to be here uh and it's funny but it's like sad the like obliviousness and hubris of of that and i guess i'm saying this all to say that like movies like uh this and stray dog which by the way are both directed by white women um i should say uh are at least helpful in letting me as a white person in in uh beneficiary of privilege uh see things about my place and my assumptions that i might not notice when i'm not 
looking at them in somewhere else. Oof, that was way too much about Descendant. Let's uh, let's finish off quickly with a movie. Then it's going to be quick because I don't know how to talk about it except to say I loved it. But uh, uh, Phil Tippett's Mad God, I watched. It's 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 on Shutter, um, and it's uh, a movie. He's a stop, mostly stop motion, but there's also some live action in it. Uh, movie of uh, I guess I guess science fiction, but it's sci fi horror hell dystopia world um post-apocalyptic i don't know uh it's a nightmare um imagination world um that we journey to deeper and deeper uh and uh the the main character i guess he's the main character he doesn't have any dialogue there's no dialogue in the movie um the main guy is referred to in the credits as the assassin. No one calls anyone anything in the movie because there's no dialogue. But uh, we're going to call him the assassin because that's how he's credited. Um, lowers into this um, this desolated world that's overrun with uh, monsters and um, remnants of cities and destruction and uh, other horrors. Um, and there's a part early on where he finds himself in a factory and it's a factory that is self-running because it produces its own laborers. They're made out of, they're formed together in a machine out of like, they're almost like owl pellets, just like goop and hair scraped off the floor and formed into, um, the shape of men, uh, who do the work and it's unclear how sentient they are. Um, but they, the work in this factory, whatever they're producing is very dangerous and these things get killed and die, destroyed constantly, but it doesn't matter because the factory is always making more of them. Um, it's not, you know, the movie goes on from there, but I'm focusing on this part of these fake men because we are watching the movie thinking, okay, the assassin, we're not thinking that because we haven't seen the credits, we don't know what it's called yet, but let's say this guy, the assassin, um, he's the real guy in this world of real monsters and fake men. Uh, but then we kind of learn more about his journey and where he came from and start to see like, oh, maybe he has a slightly higher form of self-awareness, but he's not that he's not that different someone someone wound up his gears and sent him on this uh mission just like the factory did to these uh owl pellet men uh it's really um so, so that that part that existential uh question is definitely a fascinating uh, intellectual engine to the movie but also it's just so inventive and darkly grossly beautiful uh in the complete realization of this world and the things that you like like with Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio um with stop motion if you stop for a second to think about like how much work went into these beautiful shots and these little moments you know there's a part where the assassin uh um gets on a old motorcycle that's been left somewhere and he's like struggling to get it started up and when it finally starts it like jumps forward and his leg kind of kicks out a bit 
and I just like for a second I was thinking about like oh man everything about that scene the little fits and starts of that motorcycle starting and even his body's uh, natural reaction to suddenly being lurched forward everything had to be meticulously done frame by frame uh, I know that's how stop motion works but um, uh, this is clearly a labor of love that was uh, worth every uh, drop of sweat that Phil Tippett put into it <laughs> 